Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. Thank you for joining me today, Bill Arnold, in studio for the full two hours. We're going to have an outstanding day of professional broadcasting. As I like to say, we have in studio an amazing story of someone near and dear to my heart. My producer, Rebecca Maxwell, is finally back on the job after a little bit of a break, and we're going to hear about what that break involved and what happened, and she's going to be uh, telling her story today. You're going to love it. Um, because you're going to love her, and you're going to love what the Lord um, continues to do in our lives, which is uh, close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Um, Psalm 147 says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And Psalm 73, verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. A little bit later in this hour, Justin Flom is going to be uh, joining me as well. He's an um, amazing magician and um, entertainer, and his YouTube views are over one billion. And then Bev Canaris is in the second hour. We're going to talk about the IMs in the Bible. That's part two of our discussion we had with her last week. That's all ahead on the show. We're going to take a short break and start our discussion with Rebecca. Living in the hope of Christ's resurrection. Where is your sting? Oh, hell. Where is your victory? Oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He is alive. He's alive. Faith Radio. Connecting your faith to your everyday life. I appreciate the constant biblical knowledge. I'm a stay-at-home mom, so reading the Bible can be tough because I can't sit down and read very often. So Faith Radio is definitely my um, place to get the word. Uh, Faith Radio, just listening to the programs, it's just very much inspiration to me. We're sharing each day together. On Faith Radio. Thank you for joining me today. I have Rebecca Maxwell, who's usually behind the board. Kim Sanders is stepping in her place today because I wanted to give her seat at the table so she can tell her um, story of what her life has been like this past summer. She stepped out of uh, work for a period of time um, because she was pregnant and the baby came quite early. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Hi, Bill. And so this is what this side of your face looks like. <laughs> You've never seen this side of my face, have you? <laughs> Typically, I see you in profile, yes, but this profile is kind of neat. Thank you so much. And now, little Gabriel was born uh, in June? Yes, and which was three months earlier than we were expecting. And that's so, called a micropremie, isn't it? Yes, he mm-hmm. was a micropremie, um, and they can do amazing things. Um, by they, I mean doctors, technology, yes. <laughs> I mean, yes, the medical community. Right. 
<laughs> and and so while it was a big surprise to us, um, I, as in I left on Friday and I waved to everyone, all my amazing coworkers here, and I just said, okay, bye, see you Monday. And then I called you the next day, or maybe my husband called you and said, by the way, we're in the hospital because the baby came early. Right. Uh, so it was a big surprise, um, but went into the doctor because something just didn't feel right. And um, in the process, they discovered some things that should not have been occurring mm -hmm. and decided I needed emergency surgery right then and there. Um, so it went from being kind of unsure. I mean, maybe there's this funny feeling probably got to go to the doctor to 45 minutes later, I wow. was in surgery um, for an emergency C-section. And that's how Gabriel was born. Wow. So he was immediately rushed to, Children's. as in I, I didn't get to hold him right. or anything um, because they put babies that small. Um, there's a lot of medical assistance that is needed emergency right away. Um, so I was still in surgery and they were preserving his life and to get him essentially on a life flight. Mm -hmm. They put him in, an, in a special incubator mm -hmm. and then send him to Children's in Minneapolis, which is a specialty hospital with some of the best technology in the country right. um, in order to serve and preserve the lives of babies that young, that small. And when Gabriel came into this world, um, he was, how much did he weigh? Uh, one pound, 11 ounces. That's pretty small, isn't it? Very <laughs> Very yeah, small. That's pretty tiny. It is. And and in his early pictures, you can see him holding my husband's finger and his whole hand kind of wraps around my husband's fingernail. Um, so we have uh, we have this amazing image of, of God's work in creation as he's knitting together. I love that image. He knits us together in our mother's womb. And I mean, being so tiny, he had all of his parts in working order, essentially, even at that young age, even being three months early, he had... His little eyelids he had his um his tiny little toes they were all there extremely small um but again it's it was kind of its own privilege and honor to be able to see the creative process it's like mm -hmm. a little window into creation and so that makes me appreciate god's work in a in a whole new way mm -hmm. so little gabriel gets kind of an emergency transported to children's hospital in minneapolis yes and then w what starts to be the process the procedures what I mean, the SWAT team comes on, don't they? They start Absolutely. working on Absolutely. And, and many, many thanks. I mean, thanks, sir. It seemed like insufficient um, for the professional staff. He had 24-hour care um, in his own little private room in the NICU ward, mm -hmm. NICU. And um, they have usually one nurse, one to two nurses, um, take care of these little babies throughout the day. So they work these extremely long grueling shifts and they're there with monitors they they monitor everything they test uh input and output they get to know your children intimately when when they're there um so he was in the hospital in an incubator um so he had really didn't have much opportunity for human contact at that mm -hmm. point because they're so worried about infections. Um, so they keep them in a sterile environment. And so you walk down these long halls and in each hall they have room for these little, these little children. So I became very aware very quickly, not only is it, you, of course, you're worried about your child, um, but there were dozens of families in there in that moment in almost exactly the same position. And so that's a place where a lot of prayer goes up to heaven. Yeah, that was my next question. You think you know a lot about prayer mm. until you have a premature baby. Exactly. Your prayer life changes instantly, doesn't it? Does. It does. I mean, it intensifies. Like, you, you live through prayer. Yes. 
it's it becomes the lifeline. Mm-hmm. You start clinging to that and clinging to scripture. And I I I was raised in the church, I would say, and so I was brought up memorizing uh, scripture and and keeping that close to my heart. And you don't think about why that's so important when you can just open the Bible or click on an app and have it at your fingertips. But when you're in the middle of something like that and and you hear dire news or you're so concerned about test results or in my own surgery, you know, I didn't know if I would make it through my surgery. And that's when scripture comes to mind. And mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe that the Holy Spirit brings those things to mind when you need it most. And that's the comfort that God offers. That's a huge part of it mm-hmm. is it becomes very real to you in the valley of the shadow, um, that that's where these Psalms were coming to my mind. Um, like you said, the, when we know that God is near to the brokenhearted and he makes that incredibly real to you when you're in those experiences and everything, all the, the fear and the biggest fear in, in humanity essentially is a fear of death. So when you're looking that in the face or the death of your child, that you love so much and would do anything to protect. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see that, and that's the biggest thing that the devil can throw at us, really. And that's why I think he gets so frustrated with Christians, because our Lord conquered death for us. He swallowed death. And there is nothing else the enemy can throw at us. Mm-hmm. And so it is God's sword to have that at your disposal, to know God has already fought this battle for for us, he fought it and won, and we can claim that victory even when it seems like we're at our weakest. That's when the glory of God is made evident. So, Rebecca, you're you have a new community of of friends that you've made overnight. Yeah, that and, are called NICU parents, right? Yes, and and the medical staff as well as the parents. And some parents are more private than others. Sure. But we were able to stay for several of those days. Uh, I maybe I should mention that this um, this journey lasted for about five weeks. Um, we were in the hospital staying there for some time just in the Ronald McDonald House, which is amazing. I don't know if we have time to get into that, but they're a great organization that provides food and uh, rooms, places to stay, hot showers, uh, all for free for parents that are in um, the NICU or um for children who have surgeries, health problems that need to be at the hospital. So we greatly appreciate them. And um, after about five weeks, Gabriel was putting up the fight, and he was a very strong little guy. But he had an illness that they could not identify. And so at the end of five weeks, he left us to be in heaven. And still processing this, which is why... Why I shouldn't too. have worn mascara today. That's all right. Um, but I I just wanted people to have the context. Um, so at the end of, of about that time, you get to know the nurses, you get to know the doctors really well, and you get to share stories and tears and cookies and late night coffee with a lot of other parents who were mm-hmm. in that same position at some point along the journey. Uh, never thought I would be there. So very unexpected um, circle. But I don't think there is any person, and some people will pre-offer the, the prayer, I will pray for your children. Um, and some, some people just receive that. Um, but I don't think there's ever any person that would deny or that would refuse the offer of prayer because I think every family 
wherever they are in faith, they're certainly a lot more open to those discussions about God, and they're hoping that there is a God who answers prayer. Mm. Well, Rebecca and I are both crying, so we need to probably take a little break. It's a good time. It's a good time. (laughs) And then we'll try to um, get ready for the second half of this interview. We'll be right back. Um, Thank you. Welcome back to the show. I have Rebecca Maxwell Haney in studio. I always have her in studio, but she did take a break this summer, was out for five or six weeks because her uh, son Gabriel was born prematurely. He was a micro preemie, like one pound, 11 ounces, and he fought his best fight and then uh, went home to be with the Lord after five weeks. So Rebecca, let's talk about how you process prayer. And sometimes the hardest prayer is when God says no. Yeah, and that's... You like to think that you're okay with it, with God's sovereignty, Mm -hmm. the will of God. I know that in my head. I know that God is in control, that he doesn't owe me an explanation for things, that that he knows what's best. And I don't, and I'm a mere human, and so I need to leave it in his hands. But when it's the life of your child that you're talking about, you really hope that he answers prayer the way that you want him to. Um, But I know... I know the power of prayer, and this sounds like a weird segue to say because the answer in this particular, um, in this particular chapter of my life was because I was praying that God would heal my son, and that answer was no, ultimately. Um, but I also prayed that He would use my son's life that I basically dedicated him to to God, um, kind of Samuel style, and mm-hmm. say, "This is His. You're the author of His story, of our story, Lord." and so whatever the outcome is, um, ultimately that is true. That is true. And that, um, that little Gabriel illustrated, I think, a lot of things. I think he taught me a lot of things and is still teaching. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is um, the amazing support that I got from, from my friends, uh, from our church family, amazing church family. Um, shout out to Northwest Church of Christ if anybody's listening. It's they came around us immediately with, um, well, with physical presence. They were visiting um, and brought meals and babysat because, of course, we have kids at home. Um, so immediately when your life turns upside down and you're back and forth in the hospital all day, um, that there are very real practical issues that, that come up. And we had amazing friends and family and church family that were just there for us every step of the way. And I think in the wider community as well, we were we started writing a blog. There's a site called Caring Bridge where families um, in the hospital or family members in the hospital can sort of provide these updates so that which is very convenient because then you can put out the word in one place and then uh, folks that are interested can keep up. But that became very helpful I think to process, especially for my husband Matt, uh, but it it was surprising how many people said they were praying for us. People that you know, maybe friends from college, uh, that were kind enough to to pray for us or to offer us help. 
Um, we were looking for a house at the same time. And so there, there was just so many considerations that could have been these big dragons. Um, and because of the help of God's people, I mean, his love was on full display in our family. And I just can't say enough how grateful I am. Uh, the staff here, it truly feels like family and faith radio. We kind of say that sometimes. Um, but I certainly felt like you guys were my family and walking with me through this really dark time for me and for our family. So thanks. Thanks, Bill. Well, (laughs) (laughs) and I know you were talking about it, which is probably why this feels like a really vulnerable um, and intimate conversation. But I, I really wanted to express my personal thanks for everybody who prayed for us. Um, Ultimately, Gabriel was not healed in the way that I wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. but he is complete and free and there's no more pain and there's no more suffering and I get to see him again and that's pretty cool. It's the way God does his work. It's pretty amazing. It is and it's not as though I don't struggle now. I mean grief is not a glamorous thing and it always feels so strange for I think especially for a parent to lose a child that feels very wrong. And it made me hate sin and the curse that's on this world. It is not the way it is supposed to be. And we feel the separation so deeply because it's so wrong. It's not who, how we were designed to be. When we say we live in a fallen world and there is a curse and all of creation groans underneath the weight of it and longs for the glorious end and recreation and the unity with the life, the source of all life, which is God, our Father, that's very real. And I think all of this experience has made heaven a lot more real to me. Um, I, there's, there's a lot of in-progress thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sort of feels like if there's a computer screen that's still loading and you're waiting and waiting <laughs> for the file to load. And that's kind of my story right now. Um, I really appreciate the strength of everyone that has been, I think, almost literally bearing me up as I've um, been processing this. Uh, we had a memorial for Gabriel. We wanted to honor him. And all the people that have have connected and come around us. Um, my husband's been amazingly strong. I've seen that in new ways. But it's it's not an, at all an easy thing. And I'm not there yet um still walking through the process but i think the big questions i've been studying the book of job which i don't know if that's very smart or <laughs> foolish it's always um, smart but uh, realizing that job had all of these questions much of the book of job is the the questions that his friend has for him and then job questioning god and God answers him, but not in the way that he expects. And Job was not given the answers to many of his questions other than to understand the magnificence and the power and how big God really is and then to trust him in that. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I am right now. I Mm -hmm. do not know what caused Gabriel's death. Although we have found out a little bit more information than we had right at the beginning, um, that he developed an infection in the hospital. They knew that, and they did every possible test they could think of, and they couldn't find it. Um, 
and they think, you know, maybe there was some abnormality that um, that his little body just may not have been able to heal on its own from those infections. And because they couldn't find it, um, that this was probably an inevitable outcome. Um, but I, so I wish I knew exactly how God is going to use mm-hmm. this experience. Um, and, and to be honest, that's a struggle for me. I still ask a lot of those questions and I still go to him mm-hmm. and I want to know why, but I am learning to trust the who behind the why. Right. And so that's where my focus is mm-hmm. right now. One of the, I followed, of course, all the CaringBridge journal entries and pictures and the one that really took me down. I don't even know if I can talk about this. I probably can't. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, no. I, I probably can't. So We should have had a backup plan for if we both start crying <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> You're the one that's supposed to be crying, not me. Um, is it the wedding ring photo? No, no. It's um, when... I don't, probably can't say it. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. We can move on. But... <clears throat> Sorry. Oh, that's quite all right. Um, but it. Plus, I had three minutes to fill. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually needed you to respond to this. Okay. But I couldn't spit it out. So. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. Um, sorry. That's quite all right, and and I really appreciate. And that's again not a strong enough word, but I'm kind of relying on on what I got right now. So please forgive me, audience. Um, but Bill is amazing. And he was very supportive and paid for many cups of cafeteria coffee <laughs> while we were at the hospital. Let's not make this about um, me at so, all. Okay. I got a nice uh, <laughs> uh, response. A lot of listeners are chiming in. So just your loved. And um, a listener said, I've been praying for Rebecca and her baby. Since you mentioned Gabriel's very premature birth months ago, I worked in the NICU and, a, mm. and I had a heart for her and her baby. Just wanted her to know that over the airwaves, there is a praying community. So that's one of the great things about Mm -hmm. Faith Radio is we do mention things like this and people do pray and respond. God bless you. And that is such an amazing job. It's such a true calling, I think, for the caretakers of babies, uh, especially that young. And you see such amazing strength in these tiny little bodies, tiny little humans that are unique from day one. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm really passionate about... um, being pro-life and you learn the value of each individual person when you see even in that tiny tiny little form they are these amazing wonderful individual people that god loves so much they are his image and i hope that comes through in this story that people understand how important gabriel justice haney was to the world even though he wasn't in it for very long Rebecca, I will close out this segment with um, some words from a regular listener, Terry. He put it well. He said, words seem inadequate, so I'll just offer my tears and condolences to Rebecca, who is amazingly brave and courageous to share her very personal story. God bless. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll take a short break. When we come back, uh, Justin Flom. We're going to have a lot of fun with him. So we'll be back in a couple minutes. journey. 
Welcome back to the show. Awfully fun for me because I have Justin Flom in studio. And you may have seen Justin on uh, one of his many YouTube videos. He is an, an amazing magician. I just think he is kind of um, what's happening in magic today. He's appeared on Ellen, the Today Show, Rachel Ray, Network, late uh, night, late night shows. He's been on just about everything. And he is uh, his career is going nuts. And his YouTube videos have been viewed by a billion people. And he's with me in the studio. Hello, Justin. Hey, what's happening? Oh, good. You know, I'm so fascinated by your career only because I've known you since you've been seven. So that has something to do with it. Yeah, well, and you gave me uh, one of the pieces of advice that put me in the magic career. Do you know that? Mm, I think I did. Because I was going to go, I I had the choice of going to college or just trying to do this magic full time. Mm -hmm. And I said, what should I do? And you didn't dissuade me from college. Mm -hmm. Like, you didn't say, don't go to college. But you said, well, if you have a backup plan, you'll probably use it. So it's kind of that burn the ships mentality. Like, all right, it's this or nothing. Be all in. Uh Uh-huh. But you also said, you know, like, well, college gave me all the relationships that were able to invest in the projects you wanted to do. That's true, too. So I thought, well, you know what, I think... I don't. I don't really want uh, to waste any time. I'm going to dive straight in, and just it's going to be entertainment and magic or nothing. And yeah. That was. Uh, we were sitting at Grace Church, and you gave me that advice, and it was wow. very, very useful to me. But your career is uh, kind of exploded, and much thanks to the internet as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's given you uh, like close to a billion views with your work. Yeah, and it's not even just the internet. It's actually I tell the story in my show because uh, I I was a not doing well as an entertainer, and I'm about seven years in trying to do it full-time, and I was in Branson, Missouri, trying to do this this big show with illusions and stuff like that, and it was terrible. So I got rid of the illusions, and I thought, okay, what if I just use storytelling and magic, and I went online, and I uploaded a video of me telling a story about uh, my faith and the gospel and using a, a card trick, sleight mm-hmm. of hand, something that God had gifted me more so than the big illusions. Well, this video ends up going viral mm-hmm. early in my career. So this is, I mean, it's almost 10 years ago now. And it gets discovered by Ellen DeGeneres. But the crazy thing about this is I'm talking about the gospel. I'm saying things in the video that are not that popular to hear mm-hmm. over there on the West Coast. And it's things like there's only one God and Jesus Christ is the king of my heart. It's all this story that uses a deck of cards, and mm-hmm. the numbers in the cards. And that's what put me on the Ellen show. And that was the real catalyst for that jump started everything. From Ellen, I was able to go sell this TV show called Wizard Wars, me and my buddy, based off of another YouTube video I did. I went on tour with Florida Georgia Line and Thomas Rhett. So we're suddenly in arenas like Madison Square Garden. Again, doing card tricks, just mm-hmm. craziness. <laughs> and and then from there, I get to now travel full time, doing corporate shows and church shows and yeah. promoted theater shows. But none of it happens without first kind of taking this bold step and talking about my faith in a YouTube video. And it's, you know, it can be really scary to kind of be bold in the entertainment industry because you kind of become a pariah. Like, oh, he's a Christian and a conservative. Mm -hmm. But uh, that risk, I think, is totally outweighed by the blessings that God uh, gives you for that. So my career would not be what it is without first telling this faith story called Soldier's Deck of Cards and getting discovered by Ellen DeGeneres for it. Pretty Wild. Bold, pretty bold move, but, a, you know, a, a move that is completely something I would think you would do. Yeah. <laughs> you know. The way I was raised. The and, way you yeah, were raised. Because and, my dad was a magician, as you know, 
and we grew up doing magic in churches and on missions trips. Yeah, and I remember uh, when you were a young kid, you, your family would go to Peru, and, and there would be great pictures of the Flom family doing great shows and, you know, lots and lots of people, you know, begging you for your autograph, well, which I never all, understood. That's just because uh, we were we were foreigners in a foreign <laughs> land. They they were like, exactly. these people must be famous in their home country. They didn't know that we were just coming from Eden Prairie. Right, right. And, and, and nobody's. But, yeah, in Peru, we were performing for 4,000 people, a couple shows a night. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, just because that was, I mean, I think that was what it was. This is before Internet. So when a, American culture would come to this uh, foreign place like peru we did kenya we did egypt it was a really big deal and that was that kind of wet my whistle i was like this is the best thing ever like performing for four thousand people oh oh my gosh i gotta do this and i was only 12 years old when we first started doing that and i was Mm -hmm. like whatever i can do to get more of this this is the best ever yeah so take us uh, a little bit of of, on a journey of the career uh, because you uh, went to branson and you got your own theater Uh uh-huh which was awesome and that... and and we lost all of our money. Okay, but there's a, there's a lot of competition there. <laughs> you know, there was when I was there, there was only uh, 150 other shows. Yeah, so there you go. You know, yeah, it's it's craziness. 150 shows. There was over 60 theaters, and those are full fledged theaters with box office and killer lights right. and and video and all of that. And to make it in that town, ah, oh, it you're if you break even, you're making it right. like crazy in right. that town. And that's just, that's the, the challenge. People would come to the town. Six million people would visit Branson every year. And they're only going to go see one show mostly. Mm-hmm. And they're probably going to go see, you know, the Bald Knobbers or the Presley Family Jubilee, yeah. whatever the staples is there. So making it was just an uphill battle. So we talk about it, me and my dad, all the time. Like, what could we have done different to make it? And I don't think there's anything. Yeah. But that was my... Uh, to use kind of uh, the Beatles as an analogy, that was my Hamburg, Germany. Mm-hmm. So the Beatles, before they were the Beatles, they had a couple of years in Germany where they were just performing at a pub every night. I think it was like six hours a night, yeah. just crazy amount of time on stage. And that's how they got to be so quick-witted and good. And I mean, when you see them in interviews back in the 60s, they were so fun and funny together. That's what I was able to do. I was able to have just countless hours on stage yeah and get all of the bad out. Justin, I've always said doing something over and over is the key to repetition. <laughs> you know, so the fact that you had that time to just train and perform yeah. and do it over and over and over, you built incredible confidence. Yeah. yeah. You, if you put anybody on stage for a thousand hours, I don't care what they do. I don't care if they're a I juggler agree. or a comedian or a magician. They'll be doing something interesting at the end of a thousand hours. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, it'll be interesting. Yeah. So did one television appearance lead to another one? Is that kind of how it works in that yeah. industry? Yeah. Um, and, boy, the most recent one that was so cool came from a brother in Christ, uh, Mark Burnett. So Mark did the Bible series and and uh, the latest Jesus film. Uh, I forget what it, it was titled, but the Bible series. And Mark Burnett also created The Voice and Shark Tank and The Apprentice, Celebrity Apprentice. It's craziness. So he's this brilliant guy. He created Survivor. And he wanted to do this new show called World's Best. It was kind of going to be like America's Got Talent, but, you know, with judges from all over mm-hmm. the world. And just kind of the way God lines things up, I was on a Christian fishing trip with him in Montana. Wow. 
uh, just oh, the way that God lines these, the perfect timing is a miracle. So we're up there in Montana, and I, I'm always sharing magic whenever we can. Yeah. And I showed him some magic tricks, and, and uh, then a couple months later, he calls me. He's like, you have to do this TV show okay. I'm putting together. Okay. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, with those things, usually those talent competition shows can be scary because you're really putting your hands in the hands of some Hollywood producer who can make you look great or terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I trusted Mark and, and ended up being amazing. And that led to being able to do the James Corden show. And the James Corden show just led to this thing I did last week where I was with uh, the NHL, and we filmed with 40 different NHL hockey players, all the greats, mm-hmm. and um, doing magic for them. So, yeah, one thing leads to another, and, and it's just kind of this cool chain. You don't break the chain and, yeah. and keep doing good work. Yeah. Justin, how did you get a, a, a beyond just some, some of the fear and, and the feeling of uh, rejection and maybe not good enough or, you know, some of that stuff? That's a good question. I, you know what? I don't know. I think uh, courage is acting uh, in spite of fear. Mm-hmm. So I actually, I absolutely have that fear and that nervousness, but uh, I'm, I'm on my knees before every show praying that just that technically everything works out and that I have the words to say and I have the wisdom of who to pick. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know how when oh, you yeah. pick volunteers, you have to, you, you need to be God led in that. Yes, you Otherwise do. you could have a terrible person on stage. And uh, that's that really is what it is. What's more interesting is uh, how the Christian community has kind of come around on magic. You know, you've you've been around long enough to know that uh, churches sometimes would really look down on uh, magic tricks, mm-hmm. even though it's just tricks. We're not claiming supernatural ability at all. Well, Did, you're not, but no, I, I might be. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever experience that when you yeah. were? Yeah. Yeah. There and, was. Some, well, what did you do about it? Um, I tried to have uh, kind, gentle conversations with some of the people that were objecting. Right. Yeah. But the majority weren't. There were just objectors. So what what I've done now is I created this video uh, called I'm Not a Demon. I I, I saw that. It's brilliant. Oh, thank you. Yes. It's such a cool thing because really what it is is just it's a little bit of an ignorance thing. You just don't know. And I didn't know. I I had kind of taken my dad's word for it because we grew up in the Fellowship of Christian Magicians. Mm Mm-hmm. And I saw all these other pastors and stuff using simple tricks to catch people's eyes right. so they'd listen with their ears and God could touch their heart. The way that Jesus would use a parable, I'd use a magic trick. Mm-hmm. But when you go into the Greek and Hebrew in the Bible and you see the words, you know, um, don't do magic, right. it's intimidating. <laughs> yeah. I, for a moment, I was like, oh, man, this is my job and Bible's kind of clear cut on this. So I I got with some professors and some theologians and, and even some magicians uh, like Jeff McBride out mm-hmm. in Las Vegas, who's totally secular, but he knows quite a lot about the origins of, of the performing art of magic. And mm-hmm. the main thing is what you and I do with magic tricks is brand spanking new. It's only about 500 years old. Everything the Bible would talk about uh, would be this using trickery or deception to claim power from God. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it's uh, talking about because the Greek and Hebrew words, magos and pharmakos, what would be in those scripture verses, those words are also used to describe the wise men who visited Jesus because those words covered, you know, uh, doctors and pharmacies and, and astrology and astronomy and all these different things, not just performing magic tricks. In fact, that wouldn't, wouldn't have even been covered in that definition. It would have been somebody more like Simon the Sorcerer, uh, somebody who was claiming to have supernatural power uh, when he didn't. 
So it was a fascinating study that I did. And then when I put it all in this video, it was kind of like, look, all everything I do is just tricks. And it's all, it's more like juggling. It's more akin to acting uh, in a play than it is uh, conjuring dark forces. Mm -hmm. And that was a really cool thing to see passed around the Christian community uh, because I think a lot of people had never had known or, or even thought about. Yeah. Did you, did you find, Justin, that some people are more comfortable using the word illusionist than they are a magician? Yes. Yeah. And, and, they, and, you know, I'll go into a church and they'll say, can we call you an illusionist? I'll be like, you can call me what, a trickster. <laughs> what, like, there's, I really yeah. am not pretentious right. enough to care. Yeah. Uh, I say magician because that seems to be mostly what it is that I do. And, and I want to be clear on, on definitions. And, and I have to tell most people, I'm like, I promise you've never seen dark magic. I promise. Right. The guys you've seen on television... That dark guy on television, uh, people say, oh, is he demonic? No, he's Catholic. But the thing is, <laughs> he wants you to think so, but no, he's Catholic. Yeah. The thing is, uh, the guy, you know, if you think you're seeing dark magic on TV, boy, those tricks were just created by friends of mine, and uh, it's just one of those one of those funny things. Yeah. Justin Flom is my guest, and if you want to uh, learn more about Justin, go to justinflomflom.com, and the best way to look at any of Justin's YouTube videos uh, which have now eclipsed 1 billion views collectively. Uh, you can just go to YouTube and type in Justin Flom, and they'll start popping up like crazy, won't they? Yeah, if you Google sawing a baby in half, that's my favorite one. Yeah. That's been seen by over 200 million. I took, it's not gory or, or weird or anything. I took like two Dr. Seuss books, and we split my little four-month-old in, in half. half. Yeah. And uh, yeah. It's a must-see. You really do have to go see it. It's pretty yeah. crazy. 200 million views, and that means I got about a million calls from Child Protective Services. <laughs> it's not what you think. They just wanted to know the secret to the trick, and I told them um, she has a half-sister. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take a little break, and I'll come back. Lots more with Justin Flom in just a minute. Welcome back to the show. Justin Flom is in my studio, and it's so nice to see him once again. Uh, Justin, I think you're living in Las Vegas now, aren't you? I am, yeah. Me and my wife yep. uh, live in Las Vegas. We got our little two-year-old little girl, Haven Grace. Nice. And then, uh, she's expecting, uh, my wife is expecting another another one coming up this Christmas. Uh, we'll, have, we'll have the next addition to the Flom family. That's fantastic. Yeah. And your mom and dad must be over the moon being grandparents. Oh, yeah. They love it. My dad said the interesting thing is seeing your son become a parent. Like, he knew it would be fun to be a grandpa, but he didn't know how much fun it was going to be to see your son be a dad. And uh, and or my daughter's favorite toy is playing cards. So oh, That's so cute. We'll see if she becomes um, the next great female magician or who knows what. Mm -hmm. Now, you are um, you love the craft, which I, lo I love about you because you are a real student of magic. Yeah. And you love getting um, into everything, don't you? Yeah. The sleight of hand, the stage, the history of it. Yep. Because we were talking kind of right before we started. I'm an old man in magic because even though I'm on the cutting edge of online and YouTube and right. Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, whatever the stuff is, uh, I grew up watching Doug Henning, mm. you know, the old school stuff. And it's been fascinating to see the evolution of how magic went from Mark Wilson in the 50s to the 70s. And right. then you end up with the 80s and 90s, some of the bigger names and... Until now, where all the young people who are watching Magic are watching, they're not watching TV anymore. They're watching the Internet. Mm. So to be 
on the forefront of that is just the coolest thing. Uh, and I just have to try to keep up and create brand new stuff that's never been seen before. Mm-hmm. And you spend a lot of time doing that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, every day. Yeah. Uh, I, I look to stand-up comedians for the work ethic because, like, Jerry Seinfeld talks about uh, his method is you write a page of material, and then you go, you put an X through that calendar day, and then do it again the next day, and so on and so forth. And pretty soon you'll have a chain of X's on your calendar, and there's only one rule, don't break the chain. Mm-hmm. So for the last uh, six to eight months, whatever, I've been writing magic material every single day, a page. And a lot of amazing stuff for the live shows come from that. A lot of video has come from that. And it really is a job. Uh, the way that a plumber would go into work every day, my job is to sit down and think of things that are impossible every single day. It's a really weird job, but uh, it's it's the most fun thing I could think of doing. Mm-hmm. So have you had a chance uh, in private conversations um, with people that you have uh, been working alongside to share your faith? Yeah, in, in Las Vegas. So you know this, but the listeners at home might not. Uh, magic is predominantly made up of atheists. Mm. And I don't know why. I think it's probably the peak behind the curtain. You see that magic is fake. Mm-hmm. And then you go, well, then psychics and, and talking to the dead is fake. And we know that. Mm-hmm. So then I guess everything's fake. And we go, oh, well, no, this, that's not quite it. Um, and Magic for me actually brings me closer to my faith in God because I know that magicians of the time in biblical time, the people, uh, you know, who saw Jesus, they saw that that was real. In fact, one of them even became a follower of Christ because he's like, I don't know what this miracle stuff is, but I got, I got to see what this is. This is the real stuff, and we can see that biblically. So I know that magic has brought me closer to my faith in Christ, but the magicians in the industry are atheists and my job is living in las vegas with them mm-hmm. is to just love them mm-hmm. uh, so the game night at my house is so weird we have an actual satanist in our friend group we've got a couple people with extramarital kind of open marriages sort of mm-hmm. things and and then the rest are all atheists and and other weird jobs but it's all crazy fire breathers and, and, and sideshow artists and magicians. Well, because for 10 years they've been coming to my house and, and they've seen that I've just been there for them, whatever they're going through, and, and we, they, they're welcome over to my house, and, and no matter what, there are differences of opinion. When they have the question about the Jesus thing, they come to me with it. Mm. Uh, so it takes a decade to really kind of foster that, openness and and that relationship but yeah one of my friends recently she has nothing to do with the religious thing but it's 4 a.m we're bowling in las vegas because nothing in las vegas ever closes and after bowling she goes all right give me the pitch like like let me hear the jesus thing Mm -hmm. just just like she's keeping her options open she's (laughs) like okay so i know you've got the jesus thing let me hear what it is exactly and you know who knows what that'll turn into and you know that there was a magician named Johnny Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Very famous guy. I worked with Johnny a bunch yeah. of times. Yeah. Yeah, so he would he would be known as an atheist, but I'm not so sure because I visited him in the hospital before he passed away, and we had worked together on my TV show, Wizard Wars, and he said, you know, Justin, I hate Christians. I said, okay. And he said, but you seem different. I don't know what it is about you, but you're very different. And I'll tell you this. 
I don't like what Christians say, but I like that Jesus guy. Everything he said seemed pretty great. And I said, well, John, you know, um, I agree with you. And that, boy, it's hard because Jesus didn't leave a whole lot of room. You know, he said he's the only way, the only truth, the only life. There is no way except for him. And Johnny, being kind of like an old mob guy, gave me two little slaps on my cheek, and he kissed me. He said, I like that. And I have no idea the thoughts of a dying atheist. You know, we won't know until we're in the afterlife where Johnny ended up. But I, I really hope that the way I lived my faith and the way I shared with him at the end, maybe it had a difference, maybe it didn't. But And that little story has given me more openings to talk about my faith with other friends of his, uh, you know, the pens and the tellers and the people like that yeah. uh, in the community. And those, uh, the pens and the tellers, they've got quite a bit of hostility towards the gospel. I just see it as hurt. I mean, I know for they, they wouldn't be so hostile if they weren't really hurt at some point by the church. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. I mm-hmm. mean, we've all been hurt by, we're human. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people say the church is full of terrible people, I go, no, no, no. Humans, it's full of humans. Every organization is full of terrible people because we are human, and uh, that's it's an important distinction to make. And I just try to embody Christ for those people so that they can kind of have an image of difference about what what they think religion is. Because those people, uh, the atheists, oftentimes know Scripture better than most Christians because they love to battle it out. They right. want to they want to talk inconsistencies in the Bible, and they want to say, well, what about this? What about this? And I, I, that's my hobby. I love apologetics. I love creationism. I love looking to the science, because I come to Christ from a very logical point of view. I wish I could come from an emotional perspective, mm-hmm. but as a magician and thinker in that way, uh, I come to Christ and faith from a real logic standpoint, where I go, all right, we can see intelligent design, so we know there's a God. Okay, So then which religion do you pick? I pick the one with the biggest God, the God that doesn't require anything from me, the one that puts it all with grace. And if I can just get a person to God, I can get them to Christ. Uh, The hard part is that step from no God to God, that is a chasm of of a step of faith for, for most people. There was a, a book that came out 30 years ago by a guy named Bob Brenner, and it was a book called Roaring Lambs. And, and the, yeah. pre- the premise of the book, obviously, if you know of it, mm-hmm. was that, you know, the Christian community was saying that the arts and media um, and entertainment industry was no place for Christians. So all the Christians left. And then we were all angry about what went on in news right. and, and arts and entertainment. And so uh, his encouragement was for us to go roaring back in. Mm-hmm. Now I look at you, Justin, and my goodness, you uh, have, are walking your faith out every day, and you have had a, a billion views on the Internet. Yeah. That to me is absolutely amazing and wonderful, and I couldn't be any more excited. Well, thank you. Yeah, and proud of you. I'm tremendously proud of you. I mean, not as proud as your parents, but I'm awfully proud of you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. It's, I tell people, I know it's a really divided culture like we've never seen before yeah and it can be more scary than ever before to blink to believe or think any of the things that that we do uh but i promise the blessings that god uh, puts out there for those who are bold in their faith totally outweigh any of the risks and and it really is why gain the world and lose your soul 
I've been sitting in some really big rooms. I mean, I, I was in a room with Harvey Weinstein, and he, you know, offered me this TV show and this thing. And uh, you look at those deals, that, and what a blessing it is that those things fell apart before crazy stuff blew up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I just look for wisdom and for God to just slowly, you know, lead my way into the opportunities that I should have out mm-hmm. there. And that's all you really can do. But, yeah, Roaring Lamb, absolutely. You want to be out there uh, bold in your faith no matter where you are. Yeah. So for our listeners all across the country and people listening on the Internet all across uh, the country, where would be a good place? Just go right to your website and check out your tour schedule. Yeah. They can I'm, see you I'm, live. Yeah, or yeah just I get watch to travel around. Like next week I'll be in Austin, Texas, and – couple weeks after that i'm back here in minneapolis at southwest christian but i'm i'm all over the country yep i get to stay on the road pretty much full time uh doing different churches and theaters and christian schools so come out and say hey yeah yeah and uh you can go right to the uh youtube and and type in justin flom and you'll see all kinds of videos you'll see exactly who's sitting in my studio right now and you can add to his massive click count. <laughs> I appreciate that. Over 1 billion. Justin, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. You bet. Justin Flom has been my guest. Again, his website is justinflomflom.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.